Good day wherever you're listening from and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio. It's Friday, November 4th, 2016. This week is episode 436. My name is Radio Joe Hughes. I'm coming to you from Studio D in Central City, Pennsylvania. At the controls is our engineer, John. You gotta have faith. And joining me from back in Studio C in McKee's Rocks, PA, is the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. Good afternoon, Joe. How's, how's everybody doing today? Good day here on the Mountain Cliff. All right, this week we welcome Ken Larson. We're going to talk about the state of industry education and certification, part three in our series that started with the Jim Pemberton Show and then the Lisa Wagner Show. Of course, we could not do the show without our sponsors, so before we get started, let's thank our marquee sponsors. John Don Products, a restoration and abatement contractor shop. Visit them at their website, jondon.com. That's jondon.com. Clean Facts, the number one information source for cleaning and restoration professionals. Check them out at cleanfactswithanx.com. IAQ.net and Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions are available at iaq.net. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. And last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Okay, let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Thanks, Joe. Win a cool prize by outcompeting fellow IAQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IAQ Radio trivia question each week. Submit your answers easy. Either email it to cslotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live, you can text in the answer via your computer. Congratulations. To John Lapotere, Indoor Air Quality Solutions, Orlando, Florida, for the first correct answer to last week's IQ Radio Trivia Question. The IQ Radio Trivia Question for Friday, November 4, 2016, has been sponsored by Ideas, the solution chemistry company, creating unique solutions to odor removal, surface cleaning, and decontamination problems. Now for today's IQ Radio trivia question, and it's a tough one. Which law of thermodynamics in short form allows recognition that two bodies in a relation of thermal equilibrium have the same temperature, especially that a test body has the same temperature as a reference thermometric body? Today's guest on IQ Radio is Ken Larson. Ken holds the RIA and ACAC advanced designations of Certified Restore, Water Loss Specialist, and Certified Drawing Supervisor. Ken first entered the restoration field in 1978. 
His career includes 18 years as an independent property restoration contractor, consulted to restorative drying during catastrophes and large loss drying coordination, expert witness, director of education for North America's largest disaster restoration contracting organization, and the authorship of Leadership in Structural Restorative Drying. He is currently an IICRC-approved instructor of water restoration, ASD, and CDS certificate courses. He's also an RIA instructor for advanced certification credentials, water loss specialist, and certified restorer. And he also serves as chairman for the RIA-approved instructors, trainers, and subject matters experts a subcommittee of RIA's Education Committee. Ken, thanks for joining us, and we have some intro music for you. Okay, okay Cliff, before, go for before it. Before we even start, I'm like amazed Doug Conan nailed that uh, <laughs> question. I, he I was all over I'm that one, buddy. In the world. All right. Okay, well, well Ken, thanks for joining us. Uh, you know, you were a student in an IICRC training course long before you became an IICRC instructor. Was there a turning point in one of the courses that you attended which put you on the path to wanting to become an IICRC instructor? Well, first of all, uh, I just want to thank you, uh, Cliff and Joe, for having me on the show. I really appreciate being able to speak about the subject of education. It's something that I'm actually still very passionate about, although I have grown very weary of the many challenges that persist within it. I'm glad that I can have this opportunity to speak to some of those concerns. As it relates to how my career evolved, it wasn't a particular education course that put me on the path to being an instructor. I was somewhat pushed into it by an individual um, for whom I have a deep respect. In 2003, I was working as an operations manager for an excellent restoration contractor in Sacramento. Uh, his name was Charles Cassani. One day, I, I, I got a phone call from the late Jim Myers of Dry East Products. Uh, he called me uh, wondering if I knew of any individuals who wished to be one of their instructors. When I told Charles about this phone call, he asked me if I took the job. I said, no, I loved my job working with him. Well, the following day, he dismissed me from my job, saying that he believed I should be an instructor and told me to go chase that opportunity. Now, I, I know of no other contractor who is as benevolent as Charles, and I'm eternally grateful to him for pushing me outside of my comfort zone so that I could grow both personally and professionally. He's a really good guy. I know him well, and, uh, you know, I can tell you, you know, just a short, interesting story. He had a girl that was working for him who was a supervisor, and she was afraid to fly on an airplane. So he allowed her to fly to Pittsburgh to, to go through uh, training at our own house with, with her husband. Right. And uh, guess what? Uh, she got pregnant on the trip, and nine months later they had a kid, and I'm not sure that, you know, she ever went back to work uh after that, but but before we get going, I want to make one thing crystal clear. You know, I think that our audience realizes that you're not an attorney, nor are you going to be giving legal advice. Uh, So today's interview is really going to be based on your professional experience, research that you've done, sources that you've cited, and industry observation. 
and the next series of questions are going to be asked in that context. Joe, would you like to ask the next question? Sure. Um, you know, we hear a lot about the word certified, and, and that is a powerful word. It has a powerful public perception, and I think the the, the public mean you know they think it means that that someone is competent um the iicrc opened the barn door for industry certification and has issued hundreds of thousands of them do you think that the organization could or should move away from the use of the term uh, particularly when it's a one or two day class yeah you know i have some pretty strong feelings about this subject and and you're right i appreciate you saying what you did uh cliff uh, i am not an attorney but I do want to say that clearly words have meanings, and I believe that there's some legal implications when a blind eye is given towards some of the titles that we throw upon our students, or not throw, but bestow upon our students. The ISRC has a, a very long history of ignoring dictionary definitions to words, both in their exams and in their credentialing efforts. Uh, <clears throat> the word certified or certification is a, really a word worth researching for definition. So Merriam-Webster defines certification to be the act of making something official. It is the official approval to do something professionally or legally. Now, I believe that the idea that the IICRC provides official approval to do something professionally implies some permission and accountability is carried by the IICRC for the performance of these students. Now, I have no reason to believe that the IICRC provides such authority or a performance guarantee. In fact, if the student would look on the back of their IICRC registration card, the IICRC clearly states that the registrant merely passed an exam and they pledged to try and be an honest professional. Now, that's not an act of certifying anything. It's not even close. In fact, it's just a student's pledge. It's not necessary for a student to have any experience whatsoever in order to receive their IICRC certificate. I personally think it would be very difficult for someone to try and argue that the IICRC does anything more than merely issuing certificates. You know, I haven't got a follow-up. Uh, after all, in some cases, by combining a few one- or two-day course certifications, the IICRC assigns a journeyman status. Is that... Sure. Is that inaccurate uh, yeah. in that context? Yeah, there, there's another word. You know, within the IICRC, a student can acquire a journeyman status after a single year of, quote, service in the industry. And they, they get that if they've, uh, they have the correct courses under their belt. Now, this is another very important issue that deserves a careful reconsideration. If you research the legal definition of a journeyman, Many states require such individuals to have a, quote, journeyman's license in that state. In fact, the legal definition also stipulates, quote, a journeyman has also the responsibility of supervising lesser experienced workers and training them. He must be qualified to work unsupervised himself, it says. Now, I'm unaware of any such stipulation from the IICRC who declares individuals to be a journeyman. You know, Ken, there's another level. Um, the IICRC awards what they call their master status, and it's a cumulative thing. Um, the student has to complete a sufficient number of, uh, really, in, in some cases, unrelated prerequisite courses, but they do have to complete some prerequisite courses. Um, what are your thoughts on that practice? 
Yeah. You know, like the other definitions, the title of master has me particularly disappointed. A student can acquire their master status after only three years from the date of their first certificate. The road track to acquiring an IICRC master status requires approximately two weeks of classroom time on the subjects, some of which are only obscurely associated with the student's field of expertise. So the result is a student with just a couple weeks of formal classroom education, and they can be awarded with the IICRC's highest status. This legal title of something called a master typically refers to, quote, a representative of a court or any entity who renders judgment involving difficult or specialized issues. That's amazing. A master actually serves as a quasi-judicial role settling, uh, settling these uh, difficult or specialized issues. Now, I can't help but just say, wow. That means that any individual, even an insurance adjuster, can sit in a classroom for two weeks and possess this authority over a contractor even though they've absolutely got no actual hands-on experience in the field, and they can carry the title of master, and that could be used to settle difficult or specialized issues. Uh, personally, I find that to be an embarrassing and uncomfortable truth. You know, we talked about the IICRC issuing uh, documents that say that students are certified. What does the word certification mean to you, and what do you think it means to the student who yeah. attends a class and successfully completes it? Yeah, exactly. You know, clearly I'm being very particular in demanding on accuracy of the use of titles and words that we bestow on our students. So I think it's only fair that I am equally particular on the use of certification in my answer. You know, it's likely that different countries have different stipulations in order to declare a person to be certified. So I'm just going to speak from the American perspective. If you go to uh, uh, www.uslegal.com, it defines certification to be, quote, professional certification is known as trade certification or professional designation. Certifications are usually earned from a professional society or educational institute, and not the government. Now, it's important to note that the IICRC is neither a professional society nor an educational institute. In the U.S., it carries on, the definition carries on, it says, in the U.S., professional certificates are issued by state agencies. Professional certificates are valued, valid for a specific period of time and must be renewed periodically. Profe yeah, professional certifications are common in areas such as healthcare, aviation, construction, technology, and other industrial sectors. Now, I doubt that many of the IICRC students are aware that they don't actually hold a legitimate certification as defined by U.S. law. You know, I'd like to change the subject really to uh, the subject of instructors. You know, I was uh, an IICRC instructor. Um, and so was Jim Pemberton. And you know, when I wrote my blog, the one thing that he and I had co in common, as well as being friends for you know for many many years, is we were both dropouts. You know, we both got very frustrated, uh, you know, by their processes and and you know the demands. Right. Uh, and, and you know, the week after I interviewed Lisa Wagner, and you know, she was involved with the IICRC, and she just you know she was fed up with it. 
before she even started, so she never became an IICRC instructor. You know, many instructors who work within the IICRC instructors and school committee system find it frustrating. Did you and do you, and if so, how and why? Yeah, you know, Pemberton and, and Wagner, they're, they're not alone in that sentiment. I, I know of a lot of instructors that feel that way. And i gotta, I got to say that I'm sad to report that the vast majority of instructors with whom I communicate, yeah, they're, they're troubled by the decades-long progressive decline within the education industry. And quite simply, many are just seeking to evolve their careers into a less frustrating specialty of their trade. Uh, there are some instructors who continue to simply keep their head down and toe that green line, but I can only speculate what motivates them to do so. Ken, can you comment on the manner um, by which an instructor in one course can add an additional course um, in another, you know, maybe an unrelated discipline? Uh, do you think they have that necessary knowledge and, and field experience to do so? Yeah, I just researched that recently, and um, actually that's another issue that a lot of instructors struggle with. You see, once you're an IICRC-approved instructor in a single subject, you can add another subject by simply filling an application form and paying a small registration fee, and then prove that you have a manual that includes 100% of all the exam learning objectives, but remember, you're not allowed to teach the test, <laughs> but once you do that... <laughs> Uh, you, the group of the IICRC instructors are notified of your intention to add another subject, and then you're, you're all given an opportunity to notify the IICRC of any reasons why that applicant should not be an approved instructor in that subject. Now, I'll say that I've personally followed that protocol, and I've protested an uh, instructor's application with what I believe was a compelling issue of ethics, and it was met with just kind of passive interest, you know, and to my knowledge, I've never seen an applicant denied. Not at this point, anyways. Cliff? Uh, thanks, Joe. I'll As the IICRC gives annual awards for what they call the Iron Man, the instructor who taught the most courses, and instructor of the year based on the most courses or, or most students, is IICRC education more focused on quantity than quality? Yeah, they, they do these awards every year. And I find that the, uh, the Ironman and the Instructor of the Year Awards, it, it actually annoys many of the IICRC instructors that I know. You see, the Ironman Award is a class count per year. You get that award when they start counting how many events you put on. And the Instructor of the Year Award is a student count per year. Now, that issue, or the issue is that the, the advanced courses are typically three to five days while many of the introductory courses are only a single day in length. So the IICRC seems to be counting events and students, which are actually IICRC interests, rather than recognition of the instructor's dedication and sacrifice. I, I personally know of instructors who have been on the road teaching these week-long advanced courses for a greater portion of the year than the recipient of the Ironman or Instructor of the Year Award. These hardcore instructors are usually pretty much unrecognized by the IICRC. And speaking as an instructor who sits at the table of other truly hardcore advanced course instructors, we usually just look at each other and, and give each other a nod of our head, and, you know, so as to say, hey, man, I see you, brother. You deserve that award. You got my respect, man. And, you know, they're the real Iron Men and the real instructor of the years, and, and they know who they are. We just let it go. Um. 
You know, since you've been an IICRC instructor or just industry instructor in general, uh, what changes have you observed in the industry's training model? Yeah, you know, aside from a, a few more uh, entities who want to offer course uh, you know, certificates, uh, I, you know, other than the, the development of at least a couple other ones, I, I really haven't noticed much real significant changes or improvements to the industry's training model. It seems to be stuck in the old, uh, in the old uh, practices. So I, I can't really say that there's anything that jumps out at me. Joe? And Ken, I, I think there's a, a fair text uh, question. I kind, of, I kind of wondered the same thing. You, you still are an IICRC instructor, and I guess the listener's asking, why do you choose to maintain that IICRC instructor status? You don't seem... Uh, real happy with some of the things they're doing. Apparently, though, it hasn't been enough to get you to drop it all together. Yeah, well, I'm trying to be patient. You know, that's one of the things that uh, these organizations say, is that if you want to influence change, try and do it from the inside, not from the outside. And that was the the message that I received, gosh, 13 years ago when I first got into it. And, um, you know, I'm I'm hanging in there for now, but i got to tell you, like I said, started off, saying is that I'm, I've grown weary and, you know, uh, things have just become tiresome. And uh, the, the rate at which changes happen seems to be so painfully slow, years and years and years, when it really doesn't need to be that slow. It, things can be, you know, much faster. So in the meantime, I'm trying to, uh, you know, explore my options and, you know, develop other uh, specialties and uh, related to my focus on uh, water damage restoration and uh and uh you know i think that with time i probably will join the pembertons and the zlotniks and you know step aside and let the, the next generation handle it but for now i'm going to hang in there as long as i can uh, that's a you know go ahead joe well, i just think that's a solid you know a solid reasoning and um i think it's fair it was a fair question and i think it's a it's a you know fair answer so um, you've also been a, a little bit critical about the inaccuracy and in some of the uh, what, what I think you would say bias built into industry standards. Um, how do you work? You know, you, you teach the courses, um, and yet you know there's you have some issues with the industry standards. How do you try and kind of teach around that information that you consider to be inaccurate? How do you deal with that when it comes up? Yeah. You know, I, I, I suppose many know that I'm pretty outspoken in directing attention to accuracy and biases within the industry standards and the, and the exams. And I'm, I'm pleased to say that many of these issues have actually been corrected within at least the latest water damage standard, uh, the S-500. But there's one glaring exception, and that is on the point of the air mover formula found in section 13.5.6.1. You know, the formula describes, um, described in there is truly ad hoc and the industry pretty much never heard of that formula ever before uh, that should actually be relocated to the non-standard of care guidelines right beside the dehumidifier formulas i think the fact that the consensus body's process allowed a committee's vote to trump what is clearly not a component of the standard of care to be followed into the standard i think that's pretty telling uh, but to be honest with you i'm Aside from that, I'm actually more concerned about the IICRC's exam committees taking comments and recommendations from the documents and then making them a learning objective within the exam. You see, recommendations in the IICRC's documents 
are comments that are not a component of the accepted standard of care to be followed. And, and I confidently say here and now that this practice by the exam committees are the root of our industry's major problem with the twisted ideas promoted by the insurance programs and the third-party administrators. They certainly don't have the standard to back up their program stipulations, but they frequently have the course exam questions to support their ability to declare the contractor to be wrong in the way they executed their work. The problem is the exams much more than it is the standards. How do you handle that when you're teaching? I mean, you... I know I took a class from Cliff long ago and he would say, well, this is, you know, this is what, (laughs) you know, this is what they tell me, um, you know, you may, may need to know, but this is the way I really feel about it. How do you handle that? That's got to be a tough situation. Oh, it's exhausting. And it's frankly, it's one of the most frustrating things that um, we have to deal with when we're, um, you know, standing in front of a group of, you know, wide eyed students looking for the, you know, this accurate information upon which they can build their careers. And, you know, to be honest with you, I, I actually start the whole uh, course off. One of the first things I start by saying is, like, you know, that uh, I apologize for the two messages that I must give in my classes. Uh, the first message is I'm going to give you the best possible accurate information that I possibly can give, and then I'm going to probably show them a slide that shows a message that completely conflicts with what I just taught them to be true. And now the student has to, you know, try and remember the less than accurate or the watered down message in order to receive uh, the benefit of uh, successfully passing the IICRC exam. And, you know, it, it's just, it's disappointing to see that the, their enthusiasm diminish when I have to start the course with an apology. And that's just the way it is. Hmm. What about um, more hands-on courses? Uh I, I, Cliff, when I when I took the classes, like I say, I, I mostly took them from Cliff, and he always made an effort to try and do a, a lot of hands-on activities. But I've also taken some where there weren't, like uh, the AMRT, you cut out a one square foot section of drywall and uh, things like that. What what's your thought about more hands-on in the courses and uh, more more hands-on demos, etc. Yeah, well, so when I think of hands-on, in my world at least, I'm, I'm thinking of the applied structural drying course where they actually flood a house and the students go in there for four days and they, they practice the, uh, the techniques uh, described within the IICRC uh, exams um, on how to dry out that structure. Now, I, I'm not sure that these um, houses or these hands-on courses are supposed to be reflective of realism. You know, in the four decades of doing restoration work that I've been involved in, I've never run into a house that's 1,200 square feet in size, has 200 amp service, built inside a warehouse, empty, and has five tons of air conditioning. <laughs> now, if that house did exist in reality, I hope the owner didn't pay the architect, because that's one messed up house. But, uh, <laughs> you know, these houses are actually more of a marketing opportunity for the host. Seriously, the student needs to open their eyes and ask themselves why a host would spend more than $100,000 to build one of these facilities. Who are these hosts? Do they sell products and services? You know, there's your answer. There's nothing generic about these courses whatsoever when you consider who the host is. I'm wondering I've got a follow-up. Go ahead. And, uh, yeah, would you agree that this ASD flood house training has become too big 
to fail. <laughs> too big to fail. What a typically American question that is. Um, you, you know, here's what I think. I think that the IICRC flood houses served a fascination within our industry for a whole decade. Uh, I think the fascination is somewhat gone now, and it's very hard to attract students to these flood houses in today's market. Now, the reason why the ASD courses have suffered such a significant attrition is because of the heavy focus on the silly equipment formulas and this in-place drying technique. You know, once the insurance community learned that it was possible to declare a student right or wrong for using or not using these formulas and processes, they mandated all contractors to rigidly adhere to them. Now, today, insurance representatives reward obedience to these non-standard of care ideas rather than competence in how we approach our jobs. I squarely place the blame on the committees who define the course learning objectives for our industry's current sad state. Now, I, I, I got to be honest, I think I just digressed. But to answer your question, I think that, that flo- these flood houses will continue to exist, but they'll be used as a marketing platform for the host's primary services. Let me, let me ask a quick follow-up on that, Ken. I'm, I'm not sure. You mentioned the size of the home, the 1,200 square feet. Is that something that's mandated? Um, by the IICRC to be approved as a a, a, a flood house? Yeah, listen, these flood houses have a whole bunch of uh, mandatory elements in order to be approved as an IICRC flood house. Uh, one of them is uh, the square footage. One of them is the different types of flooring materials. They have to have a crawl space. They have to have, um, you know, plumbing, not necessarily working, but it has to be present uh, they have to have a toilet, they have to have appliances, and on and on and on. Um, again, they're trying to make it um, as um, close to what a student would encounter in the real world. Um, you know, they, so all these different elements, and uh, there has to be a certain square footage of the flood house per student. Um, I think it's 50 square feet per student, and so there's, uh, you know, these uh, necessary um, house requirements in order to be a qualified IICRC flood house. Okay, thank you. Cliff? Okay, um, I guess there's a couple of you know, text questions that um, I guess we can address and then we can kind of go on. Um, I guess one is, uh, so no counter, Cliff, didn't you use teaching how to clean fire and smoke to promote uh, products too. Uh, yeah, in 1987, uh, we started the hands-on training concept for the industry, and um, we followed IICRC procedures. You know, it was mandated that if you did a demonstration in the class, you had to offer multiple products. You know, for me, as an instructor, if I was going to do a demonstration, I just wanted to be sure that the demonstration worked and that the student learned something. And I thought it was important that the instructor have, you know, the opportunity to choose a product or a machine or a piece of equipment uh, that works. I think it's a lot different now than it was, uh, you know, than it was back then. Um, I do think that other industries use classes to teach the use of the products. Um, my issue with uh, the, the flood houses was it was a made-up concept. I don't believe it ever worked well. I think it was deficient, uh, you know, from a scientific perspective, and I think the industry's moved away from it because 
I didn't live up to the expectations, but uh, now I think we can uh, we can move on. Ken, are you an advocate for reciprocity between organizations regarding training courses? Um, yeah, actually, uh, you know, if we really did possess true certification um, that was issued and recognized by the state, uh, that reciprocity would be an obvious result where a student could use their education from one entity and use it towards an advanced education offered by a different entity. Uh, you know, I, I can't help but feel that our industry is pretty petty when, we, uh, when the certificate providers refuse to recognize another education program. Uh, in my mind, it just seems childish. Joe? I'm curious what you, your thoughts are on uh, online training and, and whether you think that um, online training should be something that it would be helpful to the restoration industry. Yeah, I really like the idea of online education. Uh, you know, I can't help but feel guilty when I look at my carbon footprint. You know, my carbon footprint conducting these classroom events all over the planet is just alarming, you know, let alone the price my family pays when I'm not at home. You know, it's such an outdated model. I, I think that 98% of what's taught in the classroom can be a very effectively taught online. Uh, these courses are, are primarily theory and principles. And that doesn't need a performance from a live person. Um, you know, online education has had about two decades to evolve, and the world has outstanding education platforms available for online training. And I actually think it's only socially responsible that we employ them and start doing that in a bigger way. And, but wouldn't that put instructors like you and others out of business? Um, it's certainly going to change the landscape, isn't it? But, you know change is important and we have to think about the bigger picture and what the students would benefit from and uh you know our, our social responsibility uh in society you know and so i've i've got you know i don't think it's a bad thing to um you know be uh green if you will and try and look after our planet you know i just thought of this now but uh, you know, more and more companies are allowing their employees to work from home because it's the right thing to do. You know, you keep them out of the uh, out of their cars, burning all that gasoline coming into work. We can do our jobs remotely, and that's the way the world has gone. And I think it's important that we actually evolve with that. Okay, Ken, uh, I've got what we've got one more question, um, and then you know we'll go to halftime and. You know, what the question is, is there anything about status quo of industry training we should mention before we, in the second half of the show, begin to discuss recommendations for improving it? Yeah, you, you know, that last question you gave was about online training, and I just got to mention how completely fed up I am with the IICRC Scantron testing system, <laughs> where the student has a test booklet, and then they fill out these Scantron sheets by coloring in a bubble on their answer sheet. I <laughs> just done with that antique system from 50 years ago. Uh, what many don't know is that the instructor must also manually collect each student's payment information and, and get this. We've got to manually write or type out each student's payment information and method and then submit it to the IICRC for their accounting. Yeah, handwritten payment ledgers. In this day and age, uh, it's simply inexcusable. Joe, let's go to half time. Yeah, they are working on that one at least. But uh, let's keep it. Let's let's go to halftime, John.
And thanks to our association sponsors, the Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org. The Restoration and Specialty Cleaners Association who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Remember, Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Their website is prsca.org. Thanks to our advertisers. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Visit them at legends-enviro.com. And Particles Plus, they are engineers and manufacturers of feature-rich particle counters, air quality monitoring instrumentation, and vacuum pump technology. Particlesplus.com, count on us. And, of course, our marquee sponsors. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at their website, jondon.com. That's jondon.com. Clean Facts, the number one information source for cleaning and restoration professionals. Check them out at cleanfactswithanx.com. IEQ.net and Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions are available at IAQ.net. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. All right, we're back with the second half of our interview. We've got Ken Larson. We're talking about the state of industry certification and uh, education and training. It's been a great first half. We'll uh, start the second half here now. Ken, I, I want to kind of lead into the second half and, and try and continue to answer some of the, the text questions. So in the first half, we kind of set the table on, you know, where we're at. But I guess, you know, it's a fair uh, statement or question to ask, didn't, didn't some of these classes help to develop the industry and kind of get it where it is today? And then maybe we could go into other things that you feel we could uh, do to help address some of the concerns you had earlier in the show. Sure. What do you think? Is it, um, I mean, I don't know if you feel the state of the industry today is all that great. Um, that was the first thing I thought when I saw the text question, but um, you know, it, I'm certainly this early training probably did help us uh, develop the industry to some degree. Would you, what do you think on that? Well, it sure did. You know, it, it certainly gave them some, uh, you know, basic uh, skills by the technicians and, um, you know, I, uh, for the technicians. And, you know, I, I've got to be honest, I spend at least 15 minutes in each of my classes explaining the importance of accurate information in an introductory class. Uh, and then I usually follow that by, um, you know, giving two or three hours of explaining scientifically current explanations, you know, really related to competent drying and the processes of, of doing good drying. You know, this usually squashes many of the ideas that they've come to accept as true. You know, things like, um, well, air holds water and uh, watered-down definitions that actually confuse the student more than helps them. Uh, you know, it, it, I think it's best that the student is given great information 
rather than just easy information. You know, if they don't have great information like this, they'll never understand advanced concepts like vacuum freeze drying or things like that. You know, they, they'll have to abandon what they t were taught in their introductory courses in order to uh, truly grasp what uh, uh, advanced drying techniques uh, are all about and what makes them work. I, actually, I think that's a disservice to water down the messages. Ken, why does IICRC water down the accuracies? Well, <laughs> believe it or not, you know, IICRC leadership has actually formally stated that they need the information in their courses to uh, be compromised to the point where, and I have this actually in writing, a quote, Billy Bob from Alabama and Jose from Guatemala, end quote, can pass the test. That's how, how compromised it has to be. I, I mean, really, they might as well have just said Ken from Canada. I, I don't know how that can be interpreted any other way other than one that's insulting. I, I think this is very telling about the way some in the IICRC view the typical student, you know, in, in the instructor's classrooms. Let's, let's talk. Are, are you, you an advocate? Go ahead. Please. Go ahead, Joe. I, I'm yeah, just wondering, are you still an advocate for some some form of facility, classroom-based training? Um, do you want to see it all become online, some combination of the two, maybe do more of the hands-on in the classroom? What What ultimately would you like to see? Yeah, you know what? I'm not against classroom training. I, I'm neither an advocate nor an opponent to it. I'm more of an advocate for quality education that's engaging and accurate, regardless of where it's being held. Okay. And and what about things like teamwork and small team leadership skills? Um, are they worth including in, in these classes? I mean, or, or do you think the people that are sending their folks to a class, or they just want them to get the, the basic information for doing a water job. They don't want them to really understand things like, you know, or work on things like team building. Yeah, well, i, I got to tell you, that's one of the, you know, it's a little extras that I throw in on, on my classes is that, you know, I, I can't help but feel that I have a, a, a pretty serious responsibility when a student comes into my classroom and I'm setting the foundation for their uh, you know, at the beginning of their career path. I want them to stay in this industry. We need them. So, you know, how can they develop their uh, career into one where they themselves are leadership? You know, they've got a team under their belt, or perhaps they're going into management of some sort. So that's a, a big deal for me, you know. And so I actually spend time, um, you know, depending on their level of experience, you know, I invite the students to explore the qualities that make for that great leadership which in turn results in promotions and a healthy company culture. I'm big on that. I'm really big on that. You know, so I spend time on how the students can, you know, what, what is it that the employers are actually watching in order for these uh, uh, new employees to be considered for a promotion or advancement in their career? I, I'd like to try and help them with that path. Cliff? Ken, IICRC exams are the result of what I call IICRC group think. How do you incorporate independent thinking, alternative options, and problem-solving into your courses? It sounds like you've uh, heard what happens in my classrooms. Um, you know, in short, I, I explain the physics around what our tools deliver to the water molecules so as to cause them to change into a vapor phase. Yeah, once the students grasp that, I ask a student to describe a project that simply didn't respond to drawing as they expected and how they approached it. 
and then, you know, explore why it didn't work. Or for that matter, identify what information was missing in order to truly understand why it didn't work or did work. And finally, we will collectively brainstorm a dry strategy that would work. And that's in stark contrast you know, to the brainless equipment formulas pressed by many of the IICRC courses. I do my best to invite the students to be engineers of drying strategies that work rather than just an equipment delivery service. You know, I, I want the competition to be the unskilled equipment delivery service. We engineer drying strategies that work. You know, thermodynamics, psychrometric charts, and physics, it's heavy, heavy stuff. Do you believe the students adequately learn this in these classes? That's a great question. And i got to say, this is, this is the most personally rewarding part of my course curriculums. It's taken me years to figure out how to explain the physics of evaporation in a fashion where a completely uninitiated student can grasp what our tools are doing to the drying process. Now, when I observe a student who is intensely frowning at the back of the room and he's trying to wrap their head around what I'm explaining, and then eventually they get to the point where their face relaxes, they smile, they sit back in their chair, and then they put their hands behind their head, uh, well, that's what I call their light bulb moment. For me, that's my ultimate paycheck. I've helped them grasp something dynamic and important, and it's going to last them for an entire career. I love that in my classes. Joe? I'm, I'm wondering, I got a little follow-up, and um, I'm wondering if you, if you feel like there should be a standardized text, because I don't know that every instructor is going to be able to do what, what you are, are saying you do and, and get that physics down to a very basic level. It's not an easy thing to do. Do you think there should be a standardized text? Um, well, that all instructors would use? That's a good question, Joe. I think that uh, the standardized check, or, um, textbooks actually exist. It's called science textbooks. And um, these, you know, they, they're publicly available. And it's not something that has to be obscure. It's not something that has to be created by the IICRC. I think that these, uh, uh, these, these, uh, this documentation, this, uh, this information, can be had by anybody if you just do a little bit of basic research. I think that the wrong approach is to put a whole bunch of instructors into a room and have them take a vote on what they think accurate is and what isn't. I think we need to start hitting the books and start figuring out from credible sources, what truth is, or at least current truth is. Hmm. All right. Ken, That's... you're also an approved RIA instructor. How do RIA training courses differ from IICRC courses? Yeah, I'm very proud to be an RIA instructor. Uh, the culture and spirit surrounding their education opportunities are very different from other education bodies. The RIA is going through uh, a very comprehensive redesign of their advanced education designations, and I've got to say I'm really excited to be part of that uh, evolution. There's a document out there called The Body of Knowledge Drafted for the Certified Restorer Program that is simply the most complete outline of subjects that any restoration expert would be proud to possess. Um, those on the inside, uh, we kind of lightheartedly refer to the Body of Knowledge as the Book of Mormon. It's, uh, it's latter-day information, it's uh, current, it's a continuation from the uh, you know, original information. 
you know, it's uh, it requires an intense study to wrap your head around it all. Uh, yeah, I believe that that document is a is a, as important to the restoration industry's growth and maturity as the introduction of the IICRC standards back in the early 90s. Uh, this document defines the scope of our field of expertise, and we sure do have a lot more study ahead of us before we should ever be called a master in this industry. How, Joe? You know, I, I'm curious how the RIA certifications um, differ from the IICRC, and then there's the ACAC that hasn't really been discussed here today, um, the American Council for Accredited Certification. I know these guys all kind of compete to some degree or another. What are your thoughts on um, how these certifications differ? Yeah, that ACAC model is another one that has uh, evolved or come uh, about in the last few years. You know, um, it would take the better part of a day to fully explore these differences. But i got to say, I don't think it would be really all that beneficial to explore the differences between these models. I actually think they're complementary. Uh, you know, back in 1980, the ASCR, who is now the RIA, they developed the Certified Restorer course and held it out as the industry's most advanced designation that a restorer can attain. Uh, in that light, the IICRC courses are very important as a stepping stone towards that end of getting that capstone designation. Um, since the CR course, the RIA has developed the Water Loss Specialist uh, designation and the Certified Mold Professional designation, and these are all industry-advanced credentials that uh, carry weight. Um, I think that both education offerings are important, and I think that these organizations need to really start collaborating closer with each other and start you know, drafting a logical, unselfish career path for all students. Ken, if you had the power, authority, and a clean piece of paper, in what ways would you change industry education? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what a dream. And I think this is the kind of question that will probably get me into trouble. But, you know, I, I, I think that I, I'm going to do it anyways. I think the changes need to start with a lot of people getting fired and kept out of leadership. No surprise there. And then, you know, we'll need to completely redesign the platform upon which our education industry is built. So, um... First, here's what I think we should do. Dissolve the current IICRC model and redesign it from the ground up and call it the IICRC 2017 Limited. The, you know, the new IICRC shouldn't have anything to do with schools and instructors. They sell standards and grade exams and have learning objectives derived from legitimate and credible source material that is readily available to the public. It would be very beneficial if that uh, IICRC 2017 was also a third-party uh, accredited and possessed uh, state recognition like a true certification entity does. Then second, we should create an entity owned and run by instructors. I think uh, perhaps a cooperative business model would work. There may be some minimum standards required to be an instructor, but if someone wanted to be an instructor, they join the co-op and market their education opportunities. They're good to go. Uh, there would be no biased and unwieldy approval process necessary like it, it currently is in the IICRC. Ultimately, public opinion will determine if the instructor has a future or not. And then finally, the third step, we've got to separate church and state. You know, the IICRC 2017 and that co-op of instructors should have positively no affiliation. In fact, they don't formally communicate with each other on courses and exams. 
The instructors will never know what the exam questions are, although they will know of what subjects they must possess an expert understanding and where that knowledge is to be found. If a student wants to challenge an IICRC exam, they go to a third-party testing center or, or perhaps go online, they pay their exam fee, and they give it their best shot. If they know the subject, who cares if they sat in a classroom or not? They get the credential. And that's what I think, uh, boy, that would, that's a lot of changes, and it's certainly going to make a lot of people unhappy, you know, if that did happen. But um, for the entire industry, it would certainly be the, uh, the most effective and a, a real positive move, uh, move if we looked at the big picture. You know, Ken, as an industry trainer, if you look back over the course of your career, do you have any regrets? Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> I sometimes lay awake at night, and I think about my early impressionable days of being an instructor. Um, i got to say, I, I'm embarrassed when I ponder some of the silly ideas that I innocently taught to some of my students. You know, ideas like air holds water, and that air is thirsty. Oh, that just drives me nuts. And that wet goes to dry. These are simply inexcusable compromises to accuracy. Um, actually, I, I'm being too kind. Those are actually positively wrong. They're not compromises to accuracy. They're just wrong. And, I, you know, I, I hate to admit it, but I said those things. And I guess the... Uh, I guess this is my chance to publicly apologize for that. If you're one of those students, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I don't know what else to say. Well, you know. uh, well I, I guess the reverse would be as an industry trainer, of what accomplishments are you most proud? Yeah, um, yeah. thanks. I'd like to uh, answer that. It's, it's actually one of the easiest questions of the day. You know, I, I couldn't be more proud of the privilege to teach the RIA Certified Restorer Program. I, you know, to have the opportunity to follow Marty King's footsteps and, and carry that CR message that he drafted to the next generation, and then to even be able to assist in the CR program's evolution in accord with uh, the information found in the CR body of knowledge, uh, it, it's all too ex difficult to actually put into words. I, I got to tell you, it's, it, what a privilege that is, and it's so exciting. Um, now, admittedly, the this current CR program, that information that's in that program that I'm actually going to be delivering next week in Chicago is from the past era. I like to call it a legacy presentation, and it's the last time it's going to be delivered in this present format. Um, the new CR program is going to be delivered from the, or derived from the, the body of knowledge that I spoke of earlier. And this revised CR program is going to be so intense and so relevant to today's top industry experts that I, I'm actually excited, and I, I fully expect it's going to produce a new kind of restoration industry professional, uh, one who carries themselves with the same pride and esteem that I remember observing uh, the new CR inductees possessing after their induction ceremony with Marty uh, over the decades. Uh, I can't wait for that development. Uh, I know how I felt in 1996 when I got that credential. It just it was a real sense of accomplishment and um, you know, I just, I had more confidence and I felt more proud. I actually, it, it really boosted my esteem to acquire that. All right. We're going to go to our roundup now, Ken. Uh, before we, we do that, um, is there anything else that you would like to add? Is there anything that, you know, we didn't cover? 
Wow. Um, well, I could talk all day about the subject of education, but I don't think we have much more time. But those are my hot buttons that uh, what you actually uh, touched on. Um, I, I think that our industry is in dire need of change. Uh, actually, I'll say not say dire. I'll say urgent need of change. That doesn't mean, you know, okay, we'll get it done in the next few years. No, we're, we're at a turning point where we've got to get it done quickly. Um, and there is no time to waste. And I think that it can be done uh, quickly. The, you know, slow-moving vessels will, will, you know, they will not survive in today's marketplace. And so I invite those who are, you know, leading these organizations to be nimble, be quick, uh, um, be efficient, and be fair, and do the right thing for this industry. I think that that's the, the, uh, the information that uh, we really need to consider and, uh, and uh, think about the industry at large rather than just their personal entity's uh, survival. All right, well, let's go to the roundup. Move him on, hit him up, hit him up, move him on, move him on, hit him up, raw high. Cut him out, ride him in, ride him in, let him out, cut him out, ride him in, raw And it can only be Pete Consigli. Pete, are you with us? Yes, guys. How you doing today? Good. Welcome, Pete. Good, Pete. Good to have you join us. Um, I don't, I've got a final question or two, but I wanted to go to you first, Pete, see if you have anything you'd like to ask Ken or uh, any comments you'd like to add. Right. Thanks, Joe. Cliff. Ken, I thought, I thought it was a terrific interview. Certainly didn't, uh, you know, didn't, didn't pull any punches. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. I'm sure you're going to get people who agree with you. You'll get people who disagree with you. And uh, you may get people who they're not quite sure. That's kind of the way the world goes goes around. I, I remember, you know, uh, years ago when I started writing some columns in, in uh, CNR Magazine, I wrote a column one time. Don't even really remember the topic, but I remember I got a bunch of negative comments back. And uh, I called up Marty, and I, I asked him for his advice, and he said to me, congratulations. And I said, well, well what do you mean, Marty? He says, well, he says... If you get negative comments or positive comments, it means that you made your point. It was a successful piece. Whether people agree or don't agree really is not the point. It's that you took a stand, you took a position, you were clear on it. And that changed, you know, how I, I looked at the world for many years to come after that. I think it, it made me a better writer. Um, you know, Marty said if nobody comments at all one way or the other, he says you, you, you probably didn't make your point and, and nobody cared to uh, to weigh in. Um uh, you know, I'm I'm one of those uh, guys with Cliff and uh, maybe Jimmy Jimmy Pemberton in the road that Ken said he might go down. Right, I was an IA instructor for many years, and it, there became a time where um, I, you know, I and I don't mean this as a negative because I mean a lot of these IACRC instructors are, you know, really uh, provide a tremendous you know service to the industry out there. Uh, but I didn't. I was, I, I, you know, I gave up my instructor status and even my certification. My, you know, my IICRC number, I think, was 300 and something back in the day. Uh, it just wasn't uh, practical anymore. And, um, you know, that, that's just the way it was with me. I don't think that all our instructors are alike. I think it's important not to paint this broad brush. You know, um, the market will decide, you know, the trainers and the instructors that they that they care to attend their courses and the ones that they don't. I mean, that, that that's... You know, that's how it's always been. I think it's market-driven. Um, it was interesting that Ken made that comment about Charlie Cassani. I, I actually did, didn't know that until I heard that from Ken. 
that's something because me, like Cliff, we've known Charlie for many, many years uh, when he first started getting involved in the association. And, uh, you know, he's put a tremendous service in in the last uh, four or five years as being part of that committee and not on the, on the CR body of knowledge. Just tremendous uh, volunteer that those uh, nine people on that committee put in. So that I'm glad that Ken brought that up. Charlie definitely deserves an attaboy. He's one of these guys who kind of works under the radar, um, just doing uh, doing things for the right reason. Doesn't necessarily need a big old pat in the back, but once in a while it's nice if that happens. Um, you know, the, the the I remember those days back in the late 80s, you know, the old Iron Man thing. They didn't really have that designation then. But, you know, these guys who, who are out there on the road doing the courses that wanted, you know, um, do the best training and really help educate the people that come to these courses. I, I think more so what I always used to say back in the day, it wasn't about whether you're going to pass the exam and you're going to get their the certificate or get the arm patch. I mean, obviously that's important and guys want that. I said, to me, the most important thing as a trainer was that when you were done with the class, the information was useful. You could apply it in the field, be a better cleaner, a better restorer, uh, you know, make more money for the company, serve your customers better. And I think that uh, probably hopefully still, you know, holds true today. Um, the, uh, you know, those comments that were made about, uh, the ASD houses and the generic hosts, I'm not going to really comment in that one way or the other. I think those are pretty self-evident, but I will say this. I think there's another underlying dynamic with how these ASD houses go. And this is what it is. And I'm not sure maybe you guys want to comment on this, but it seems that as all the, the franchisors started to build the houses, you know, to train their guys, if you would. Um, so what they had, and I, I don't, this is the way I see it. I think they have different reasons for the ASD training. And it's not the same with all the franchises too, because they, they all have different cultures and the way they look at the world. But many of them obviously are all going after the different carriers and the TPAs to get on these vendor programs. And so they're, if that's what, if the, if the TPAs and the vendors uh, or the uh, people who oversee those programs and the carriers decide, well, based on this information that's in the training programs, in the standard, or in the certification programs, is what they're going to base their criteria on, like Ken commented on. Well, if they're not uh, updated and educated, and that, that ship turns real, real slowly to get those guys to change their mind, that's another whole deal. It's not about selling equipment or anything. It's about, well, we're training guys because this is, what the customer quote unquote wants and that I don't not sure, quite sure how to handle that. I mean, that that's like a pretty challenging thing. Uh, I'm sure Ken definitely has an opinion on that. And I would think Cliff probably does also. Um, you know, my final comments, uh, Joe is, um, really some of the things that Ken said towards the end of the interview and some of the questions, I mean, you know, the listeners all know I'm an REA guy. I'm the director of education and the industry advisor. And, and so, you know, everybody knows that. But to be an honest broker, you know, my role on the show, um, I think the comment about leadership was really, really important. In the CR body of knowledge, which uh, is now uh, in the final processes of being submitted to the REA board, the peer review intensive process has been done. Hopefully that will be published after the first of the year. Nobody likes to do anything around the holidays, which are coming. But, you know, the IICRC did an organizational peer review. The American Industrial Hygienist people did. The IQA group did. Even the Restoration Sciences Academy, the training on for for, uh, for the Legends Brands people did, outside of all the individual people. And leadership was an important component that came out of that that three-year, 10,000-hour process in the development of the document. After, 
you know, there's four things that the, that the restorers need to know. They need to know, uh, you know, technical information. They need to know management information. They need to know scientific information. Those are the big three. And then leadership was the one that was debated that in order to move to the higher uh, level in your profession, no matter what that profession is, it requires leadership skills, which is different than being a good manager. You know, people manage things. They lead people. And the best project managers are also good leaders, not just good time management people. So I, th- I, I was happy to hear that Ken focuses on that in his training. And I think a lot of other industry trainers uh, probably uh, also focus on that uh, too. So that will be a, an important prerequisite component as the, uh, the Certified Restorer Program you know, is uh, updated as we roll into 2017. My final comment is this. Um, I believe there's a false narrative that's going on in the industry now um, that, you know, RAA and IICRC are competitors. I think this is just a bunch of hogwash, to be quite honest with you. You know, do we have some competing areas over the years? Sure we do. Have we had different disagreements? Sure there have been. But I don't always look at that as being a bad thing. I think that's part of how you get to consensus, how you have interaction, and how you come up with ideas to get to the best solutions. Like Ken said in his comments, I think that the IACRC and the IRA are more complementary than anything else, and I think the two organizations benefit each other if they can collaborate for the benefit of their core common constituents. RAA is probably the largest constituent of IICRC if you look at our membership base, you know, and uh, and all the people who are members of our association. Uh, I I don't know. There's another other single entity that that's a larger constituent. So it would seem to me that the collaboration in this area, uh, whether it's a reciprocity in programs, whether it's uh, working together to, for one to benefit the other, um, uh, uh, I, I think it's something that, that had happened for years, and I think that, quite frankly, a lot of the RA members and probably just the general industry constituents, you know, would, uh, would like to see that, you know, work better. And um, so anyway, I, that's my, my, my viewpoint on it is that um, I don't think we are competitors, and I think if we continue to look at it like that, I think the industry is going to continue to fragment, and I don't think that the baby boomers and the, you know are going to leave this industry in a better position for the millennials uh, you know, to move it on to the, to the next phase of uh, you know, where, it'll, where it'll go as, as this generational kind of passing of the baton is taking place over the next few years. So um, anyway, if I, if, I leave, if I leave on a point... Mr. Mr. Z-Man, when you prepare your blog, uh, consider that maybe my closing pearl uh, as a key talking point. But, gentlemen, uh, terrific job, and I, you know, I commend you for taking on this whole issue over the, the three series with, uh, with, with Jim Pemberton and Lisa Wagner and now Ken. Um, anyway, I, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Pete, and thanks for joining us. Um, Ken, let me ask one final question. Uh, question. I got a question and a quick comment. Um, question being, and it was a text that came in. I want to kind of reword it a little bit. You know, you have been pretty critical of um, IICRC now and in, and in the past. Have you ever worried that they would try and take away your instructor status because of that? No, never worried about that at all. In fact, <laughs> in fact, not, what a good question. I was. I want to tie this into something that uh, Pete just said. He said that, you know, the comments that I have made earlier are bound to make some people upset. And I actually welcome that. I hope that my comments have 
caused some people to feel uncomfortable and perhaps even angry. And uh, it was one of the best lines that I heard years ago, and I've never forgot it to this day, and that is that anger is not necessarily a bad thing. Anger motivates change. Now, it might be that that change is, we don't like you anymore, Ken, get out of here. That's fine. That's a change that I'm willing to take. But it might be, holy smokes, we've got to change something. But nonetheless, anger motivates change, and I think that's good. So um, am I worried about the, uh, the possibility that I, <clears throat> excuse me, might be denied, <clears throat> excuse me, the ability to uh, teach IICRC courses again? No, I've weighed out that risk, and I'm willing to accept that, uh, you know, if that should be the result. But that's, where my, that's my reply. Got it. Thank you for that. And, and I want to go back earlier to your discussion on uh, certification versus a, a certificate real quick. Um, sure. I was actually a little surprised you went to the, to the law, to the U.S. law, for your definition of a certification, because I've always been um, – concerned and 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 questioned um and i you know i just left the iicrc board and and i'm not going to get into that right now or why or any of that we'll do that on a later show but um i always i thought you would go to the ANSI definition of a certification because they are an ANSI standard setting group and yet their certifications are nowhere clear nowhere close to um what ANSI describes as a certification. I'm on their uh, website right now, and they, the, the difference between a certification and a certificate, certification and certificate are distinct terms, yet they are often used synonymously. Certification is a more comprehensive and necessarily includes an assessment of an individual's knowledge, skills, and abilities based on a body of knowledge pertaining to a profession or occupation. In comparison, certificate programs emphasize learning events and coursework completion. Certification is valid for a specific time period and involves recertification at the expiration of the stated period, and certificates are generally issued for life. And I think both you and Pete did a good job of, of um, describing that, but I, I just wanted to bring in that angle that it's also an ANSI description as well. Any comment on that? No, I, actually, I, I, it's, uh, I think that the legal uh, explanation and the explanation you just uh, gave, Joe, are, are complementary. They don't conflict. Um, I think that, you know, the American National Standards Institute certainly is a uh, protocol or a process-driven um, uh, organization in the creation of standards and, you know, even certifications. I think that uh, carries some credibility. But even they must answer to the legal uh, definitions uh, uh, held within the country. Now, again, I want to make it clear, I'm not an attorney, and the interpretation of the law is way outside of uh, my uh, scope of skills. Um, however, uh, from what I can see, based on what I've uh, studied and what you just said, I think that uh, the two... Uh, uh, are are uh, complementary of each other. Yeah, I would agree. I, I would agree wholeheartedly. I, I just I had never seen that legal tack on it, and I, I found that very interesting, and I appreciate it. And that's why I thought maybe we would tie it all together here at the end. The last thing I'd like to do, Ken, is just 
give you the option and offer. Is there anything that we missed that you'd like to add? Any further comments you'd like to add before we sign off? And, and thanks so much for joining us. I, I know it's not always easy to be, um, you know, a little critical at, and uh, to, to promote change. And sometimes you can get some blowback. And we really appreciate you joining us and being so open. But before we go, any final comments? Well, thanks again for having me on the show. This is a, such an important subject because our industry is in such a, um, you know, a, a, a state of change and it's becoming more and more difficult to survive uh, as a businessman in today's society. And, you know, if, if you're a listener and you uh, find that uh, change is necessary, um, you're encouraged to, or I would really encourage you to communicate your concerns with the IICRC or whichever entity you think it is that... Uh, uh, needs to hear your views and your comments. I think it's it's urgent. Um, I don't think that this is something that can just you know passively wait around. I, I think that you should uh, contact uh, these people and and describe what changes you actually think should um, are necessary in order to um, uh, accurately represent the industry in which you're involved. So again, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I look forward to the next time we uh, have to talk about a hot topic like this and. Um, uh, yeah, thanks again. Love having you, Ken. And this is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks again to this week's guest, Ken Larson, talking about the state of industry certification and education. Our thanks to the uh, Global Restoration Industries, the Restoration Industries Global Watchdog, Pete Consigli. Of course, my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. At the controls, John, you gotta have faith. Most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners. I know we'll have a lot of downloads this week. But uh, come back and join us next Friday. We'll be live again next Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio. This has been another IAQ Radio production.